Well, good morning, church. Oh, I like the wave. That's very nice. Um, we're doing something a bit different this morning, as you can tell. We're going to do a, a little bit of a dialogue, and um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. And we, we are talking about the topic of, of unity today, unity within the church. And on the song sheet, there is a QR code if you want to type in some questions that will come to us. Uh, I think the intent is that those questions are related to what we're talking about. And so I know there's a question already about Zach's tattoo. Um, I mean, we could do the whole 45 on that if you what, want. What is, I'd be fine with that. What is on your arm there? It's, it's ink. Ink. <laughs> is there a koi fish? Did you? No, there's not a koi, no koi fish. fish. There's, I don't know. There's some plants. You can see Zach afterwards to get a full description of the gospel. <laughs> Uh, Mike, thank you for shaving your beard. You're welcome. Um, I feel more included already. I was thinking about growing out my beard this fall, but now, no problem. I sensed that you were going to shave it. <laughs> I saw Mark, Mike at the car wash, and he was surprised that I recognized him. He's like, I was kind of incognito in the community, but you saw my eyes. Uh, maybe I'll start, guys, with a question, and you're not prepared for this, but... Um, in this culture where people are pretty committed to the way they think, uh, quickly changing culture, how, how is the church doing? Are, are, we, are we thriving? Are we centered together around the gospel? Is there more division than ever? How, how would you answer um, that question? What, what are you seeing, the state of the church in this particular season? Zach? <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I think I would, I would want to clarify that, that we're talking about the American church, the church in North Idaho, the evangelical church, because I think God's church is always moving forward, right? The gates of hell will not uh, knock it down, yeah. Um, and so the church around the world is blossoming and growing, and thousands and thousands of people are meeting Jesus, uh, and it's a beautiful thing, and it always has been. Um, I think we're in a really difficult season right now in our culture um, because the way that we have understood the relationship to the church and culture for generations is changing. Uh, and it's, um, you know, we can look to Europe and see kind of how it's, it's shifted to more of a secular age over a period of a long time. From my understanding, what is happening in our culture is the same thing, but a lot quicker. And it's jarring. And it's, uh, it's, it leaves us all kind of uncertain and, and wondering where our footing lies. And uh, um, I know there's a lot of fear. I talk to a lot of people who, who are afraid of, 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 of the world that they live in. And um, the thing that I always want to reflect on is, is this is the world that Jesus has called us to. Like, we weren't born in 1850. We were born in this generation. And, and so for whatever reason... His grace upon us is such that we are called to be his light in this strange culture that we live in. Yeah, yeah that's a good word, to be his light in this strange culture which we are a part of. Yeah. You guys want to weigh in? I would just add that, just going on your last thought, it's been an encouraging thought to me. I don't remember where I heard this or where I got it, but um, God has sovereignly, he, he has ordained our time in this century in this cultural moment. And oftentimes we can kind of dream about, man, it would be so cool to live at these different periods in church history, but it's pretty wild 
that you say something like that and, and for us to, to really lean into the fact that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have placed us uniquely in this period of church history and this is our moment to represent the Lord Jesus Christ with our personalities and our understanding to our wider culture. And so I, I feel immense privilege because it is fraught with difficulty, the culture that we're living in. And it, it see, that temperature seems to be heating up, especially here in the West. And so now I'm, uh, rather than lamenting it, I'm kind of leaning in, like how, how, how then can I be a voice uh, that brings the gospel to bear in our divided times? I think kind of tying to tying together what you two have already said, um, talking about, you know, the, um, the gates of hell should not prevail against the church as, as, you know, we read in scripture and also seeing that, um, you know, God has ordained this time for us. It kind of brings us to this place where we have to ask the question, are we willing participants in what God is doing here in our country, in our area right now? Are we participating in the work of the Spirit? Because when you recognize that it's something that He's doing, we recognize that not only, as He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but not only that, we live in this time according to His plan and His design. Then we come to the spot where we sit together and go, so how well are we participating in His work? How well are we actually um, jumping in with what God's doing or trying to do what we're trying to do what, what we may even naturally feel like we're prone to do? Um, instead of looking at, Lord, how can I throw in with what your spirit's doing in this time? So I just think that that leads, that always makes me think about like, how well am I participating in the work of God or am I trying to do my own thing? I think the question becomes then, where is God working and how is he working? And then the question, how do I join him in his work? Rather than creating my own work that may be off to the side, that's really not what he's about. We can, we can be passionate about things that are, are not what he is interested in us pursuing. So I think we've got to be clear on that. Uh, one of the reasons we're talking about unity this morning is because it is so incredibly important. Here's what J.I. Packer said. Christian unity is a matter that should be taken seriously. And here's the why. Because God takes it seriously. Think about this. Jesus prays in the garden right before his crucifixion. And what is he praying for, you guys? His disciples at all times, everywhere, would be would be one with their fellowship with him and then also with, with each other in their communal life together. And then we think of Paul in the New Testament, the guy who wrote most of the Bible, most of the New Testament at least. Uh, he's always writing to church plants, new churches, and he's, and he's weeding out all the division in the church. Why? Because he cares about unity. He cares about connectedness. Are you striving forward as the body of Christ? And so inevitably as human beings, we're sinful right? We're, we're selfish human beings. And so we're going we're gonna to be about ourselves. Uh, and, and when we pursue that, man, that breaks down unity for sure. We're, we're about our agenda. Um, Jared, when we were dialoguing uh, briefly about unity together, um, you first brought up uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Uh, can you read us part of that passage and just give us some thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. They're in disarray. They're, they seem to be majoring on things that they should not be majoring on, and they are minimizing the gospel. 
and he is appealing to them. And that's exactly how he opens up verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's with Christ's authority that Paul appeals to the Corinthians. And his first imperative here is that all of you agree. I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is, there is quarreling among you. So there's already a faction. Chloe has her folks. They're starting to come to Paul and saying, hey, this is what's going on. There's quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or Peter, or I follow Christ. And then he asks, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? That's a rhetorical question there. But Apollos, uh, Peter, Paul, Christ is the head. These, uh, these three men under Christ, are coming through the Corinthian church, and they're itinerant preachers, and people are starting to align with the personalities and uh, the authority that they see in each of these men, and it's causing some factions and some division within the church. And so uh, I, I would just say one of the, as this text has been resonating in my mind as I've been meditating on it and, and considering it this last week, um, one of the purposes of our four church gatherings is to promote at a church-wide level what is happening among us at a pastor-wide level. Uh, in our time, I don't think that we necessarily need to work together functionally. We could, what I mean is, we could remain siloed. We could just have our, our you know, gatherings among us pastors and our churches would be, would be fine. But as we began to experience brotherhood between us, we began to understand that our churches were probably far more aligned theologically than we even expected at first. We recognized that there, there is no harm, only good, only honor to Christ if we begin to bring our congregations together to, to, uh, to promote what's happening among us and to promote actually a tearing down of division. Now, there's practicalities in us gathering as four different expressions. We're in different locations. We are drawn to different personalities, but I think each of us would agree, and I think I could speak for all of us, that we would, um, we would be grieved if you saw yourselves as part of Joel's church or part of Mike's church, or part of Jared's, or Zach's. We understand that we are um, under shepherds, under our head. We are all Christ's church. And so we, we want, to, we want to, to fight against uh, competition among churches, uh, a, a sense of superiority where we look down, well, they don't hold this doctrinal distinctive, so we're not going to work together. Uh, we wanted to fight against some of those more minor issues as we identified them and really try to force, I don't think that's too strong of a word, um, consideration of unity among our, our churches and our brotherhood. Yeah. I think you mentioned um, we're not interested in, in, in guarding what we have. Often in churches, maybe organizations as well, there's a scarcity mindset that says there's not enough and so what that means is I have to hoard what I have because there's not, there's not enough of it to go around. And we're, we're fighting against that to say, no, no, God's grace, there's not a limit to God's grace. 
there's an abundance. And when there's an abundance, there's, there's opportunity to partner and work together. Do you guys want to comment on anything uh, Jared said? Or I don't know if you were done, Jared. Or I just think it's awesome that Jared forced me to do this. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you. No, I think really when we started talking about the first time together, there was a, a what if we all got together and, and did this thing and we were waiting for somebody to say, oh, no, that wouldn't work. And nobody did. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we could do Easter. Okay. And I, and I think what was so powerful to me in that moment is we, we actually was sort of, we stumbled upon it. It was accidental on our part. But we realized that there was a, a, a lack of territorialism and ego among us where, where it's not that... We, we don't want to actively shepherd those under our care, but I began to recognize and even name for myself that if, if people left all of life to become a part of Revelation or Transform or Doxa, that I would mourn that loss for our community, but I would celebrate the win by you getting them and them getting to be a part of your community. And we just recognize that, whoa, this is really special type of, uh, of fellowship and unity that we have among us. Yeah, I think we're trying to think kingdom before our own cluster of people. Not that you guys are clusters of people, but <laughs> kingdom people. Uh, Mike, when we started talking about unity, uh, you brought up about the analogy of a house or the household of God, which of course is a biblical analogy. I think it's one that can, can stick as we think about unity. And would you ex- explain that to yeah. us? Yeah, the picture that came to mind for me as we were talking about this is, I was thinking about Romans 8, which is talking about how we're adopted into the same family. And, and that's a very, uh, a very well-known verse about, you know, we were, we were once cast off and now he's made us sons and daughters. And, and um, the, the language of Romans 8, you know, talks about how we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. It's, it's this unique, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father because we've been adopted into his household. And as I was reading that, um, it took me to Hebrews 3. And this is actually the verse that I wanted to kind of connect that picture to because in Hebrews 3, 6, it says, but Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. And it's this picture that came to mind for me of like, we all know the way that we want our homes to function. Um, we don't want our houses to be dysfunctional. And we recognize that the different spaces of our houses have value. However, they can lead to being isolated, can't they? Like bedrooms are a good thing. You know, I, I, don't, I, I think that my kids would love it if we all camped out in the living room, but I wouldn't love that every night, you know? And so there, there's, there's a, a usage for having bedrooms in the house. However, we recognize is those spaces in the home are there for a reason. They can become places of isolation. Um, if your kids are in their room all the time and they never want to come out and talk to you or spend time with you, that's dysfunctional. That's not a good thing. And so there is a usefulness of having bedrooms in the house. However, we have spaces where we need to come together. We need to sit at the dinner table together. We need to eat meals together and have conversation and bring those things out. We need to have a family room atmosphere where we come together and we we play games together. We have discussions or we read together. And then we also recognize that eventually we have to go outside those four walls and minister to the community that's around us. And I think that we recognize so often that this is an important dynamic, but when we think about our homes, I don't think, well, I should be careful. I would never look at anyone here and say that my house is perfectly functional, but I'm making a very intentional effort to press towards that. So when you think about us being in the household of God as believers, 
When you think about us having our gatherings on Sunday mornings with Zach and, and Joel very nearby to me and, and Jared the trader of Post Falls, when you think of... <laughs> When you think of our churches, <laughs> no, but when you think of us meeting in these different locations. In love, you said in, in love and affection. and you know, uh, Yeah, you, you should. Um, but when you think about this, you guys, you think about there's, there's a usefulness to those gatherings, but there also needs to be an intentional pressing towards gathering together. Being together in a, in a situation such as this, where we are actually proclaiming the unity of the church for the world to see. My, my hope and my prayer is that we're not the only people who are hearing what's being said up here. My hope is that we're being heard down there, that we're being heard in the neighborhood, that people are like, what is up with those churches that really love each other? That's so weird. You're like, yeah, it's weird. Do you know why it exists? Jesus is why it exists. The Holy Spirit is why it exists. I, I've talked with so many pastors who are jealous of what we're doing. I mean, I don't know if you guys have, but... I mentioned it in southern Idaho today, and guys like, oh, man, that is incredible. I wish I had that sense of community locally. This is pretty unique, but it's, it's really cool. So you're saying we should come out of our rooms sometimes? Absolutely. Is that what we're doing here? We're in the living That's room? That's exactly. We're in the living room. We're in the living room. And afterwards, we're going to go out, and we're going to play in the yard together. So that's, that's what it is. And we're going to eat together. So we'll be at the dining room table together. But you guys, that's exactly what these pictures uh, make me think of is this. We are a household and, and we are family. We are the family of God. We're the children of God. We've been adopted in. Every single one of us should remember that when we come to the table, when we come to the living room, we go outside to play. We have been brought into this family by grace, by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. It's incredible. Yeah, so... My wife and I watch a lot of um, Edwardian dramas with, you know, I'm um, just Jane Austen, that kind of thing. And, and it's, it's funny that, like, a lot of times those households were created. Don't laugh. It's good stuff. Uh, are, we're, created, we're created around uh, function and, uh, you know, like, uh, you have to get married so that you can produce an heir. And, and there's all of this, like, regal, logistical, kind of this is how it's done sort of stuff happening with the absence of love. And um, the f- interesting thing in Ephesians, Paul says that he doesn't say we need to become united. He declares that we are united. And just like a household that has gone through a ceremony to wed to another household, a husband and wife have come together. They have become united. But then in, in the period TV drama, they can just go their separate ways and have their own wing of the house and, and never engage with each other. And what Paul says after that in Ephesians is that we need to maintain the unity that we already have. And I love just the idea that like, we're, we're kind of stepping out into the shallow end of what unity looks like. Like the church of Jesus Christ has been um, disununified for a long time. If you've studied church history, we've got a lot of, of baggage surrounding disunity. And, and this isn't fixing that, but it is a step in the right direction. And I think just that, that idea of like, in your, your household metaphor, like if you want to have a happy marriage, if you want to have a good relationship with your children, you don't just like live together. Like that doesn't, that doesn't guarantee that there's unity. You have to actually pursue those relationships. And sometimes that's, a, that's baby steps, that's little things. Um, but I would just hope that what we're doing is 
something that's going to snowball. Yeah, I, I know in our house too, there are, there are tears. You know, there's, there's emotions and there's apologies and there's, I, you started it first and um, there'll be times when one of my child will want to go hide in a room. I've been heard in the living room. I'm going to hide under the bed. And if you're a parent, you've, you've seen, seen that in your own homes as well. And so maybe we've got to fight against that in our churches. Um, there's times to repent and times to grieve and, and times to say, I'm sorry, and times to be forgiven. And can we come out of the living room and uh, maybe we can do some things better together than on our own. Um, I, don't th- I don't know if unity happens. Uh, I don't think it does naturally. I think we have to be really intentional about it. Um, Paul gives some instruction to us uh, for leaders in the church. How, how do we pursue a culture of unity within our local bodies, our own rooms, but, but in the larger house? Uh, you could say in, in the neighborhood, right? As we build houses, we plant churches. How do we build that community network? Um, and Zach, you'd mentioned Ephesians chapter 4. Give us some instruction from Paul. Yeah, so really famous passage in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 11. He says, uh, he himself, talking about Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. And uh, then we stop reading that passage and talk about what apostles are, or being a, a pastor, or, or whatever. Um, but the but Paul keeps talking. He keeps writing. And verse 13 says, uh, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing in maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And so if you, if you think about what Paul is saying, he's, he's laying out these offices in the church, these leadership roles who are, who are called under Jesus to serve God's people as, as shepherds and teachers and, and protectors and pastors and evangelists and all of, the, all of the things that those roles play out. But the purpose of that immediately is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But then what? So that we would build up the body of Christ. But then what? Till we all reach unity. And that kind of dovetails back into what's already been said about Jesus' prayer, that we would all be one. Like, like that is a big deal to God, that God's people would be united. And it just strikes me that as we have talked about our relationship and the growth of the last few years and bringing our communities together, like, like that's our job. Like we are being called to bring, to, to maintain the unity that we've been given in Christ, Right. And, and to be siloed, to just be like, you know, it's hard to get up early and get a bunch of stuff to the park. And, and there's, you know, it's just, a, there's a lot that goes on and it'd just be easier to just do our own thing. Like, I don't think we have the option to do that. I think it's our job to pursue unity. And the, the things that, that that kind of brings to bear on my soul are like, am I doing that? You know, and, and, and the... One of the things that's, that's challenging for me is like, I like all you guys, but what is my responsibility to be united in church contexts where I don't really get along with the leaders or they have a different philosophy of ministry or their doctrinal distinctives or something that, that I wouldn't be super excited about. And they're, and they're, still, they're still Christians. We're going to spend forever praising Jesus in the presence of God together. But how do I, what is my responsibility to the Lord to be 
a leader in the church that pursues unity in a, that kind of proactive way? And, and I, I, don't, I don't quite know what the answer to that is, but I feel like we bear the burden as leaders to figure that out. Yeah, I think there's a lot of questions that come up as we think about unity. We've got some questions here. doesn't mean we just talk about it and then it's done, right? It, re- it requires some work. And a few of these questions relate to this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into a few of your questions. Um, here's the first one. And there's quite a few, so we can comment and then, and then move forward. Uh, what, why is it practically important for local churches to be unified? Uh, what does unity mean in day-to-day church life? So why is it important? What does it look like practically day to day? I just finished, I think maybe Mike, did you finish Francis Chan's book this weekend? I got so close. Oh, man. I I failed. So Francis Chan has a new book called Until Unity. Uh, It's good. You should read it. Um, But one of the things that he draws out early on in that book is that this is God's plan for winning the world to Christ. That there's... There's not, like when, when Jesus says the, the world will know me because of the way that these people love each other, that's a, that's a, a statement of unity, like that's, that's plan A for the expansion of the kingdom. And uh, in Francis Chan's typical kind of uh, in your face style, he just kind of says like, we've just decided Jesus methodology for winning the world just doesn't matter. We don't, we don't need that. What we can do is we can have a bunch of disunified churches all doing their own thing with a bunch of different programs and plans and evangelistic tools. And that's somehow going to be better than what Jesus said is the way the world will be won for Christ. And so I think to answer the question, like, why is it important or why is it valuable? I, I just think it's the plan of God for his church. And for us to just disregard that is, I don't want to be somebody that does that. Well, and that's the, the verse that, that Chan's building off of in that section, you guys. If you want to know where to go to read, I mean, the, the high priestly prayer in John 17 is such a powerful chapter anyway. But in that chapter, in verse 23, Jesus says himself, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. He just says it straight out. This is how the world's going to know. It's exactly what Zach's saying. Like the, the Bible, we, we find instruction in here for unity, unity being defined as us being together, being one, and the world knowing. Knowing him and seeing him and glorifying him because of the unification of the church. So, I mean, when you look at Paul... He's going from church to church. He's encouraging them. He's rebuking them at times. Uh, he's bringing an offering, maybe from the church at Jerusalem to a church in need. He's bringing unity to the church. You know, practically, we're, we're exploring that. You know, we're thinking about what does that look like for, for churches, local churches, to connect together. You know, currently, we've got some of the youth that are gathering together throughout the summertime. So when they're in, in a high school, it's not just the kids from my church. Oh, I've, I've seen you. I know you. I can form a relationship. Um, there's all kinds of things that are on the, on the table. Uh, what, what if we planted a church together that we all threw, threw in with? We all want to be church planting churches. Jared, you guys are. You're supporting us, uh, and, and we're just getting, getting going. 
There's a lot of churches that would say, no, we, we don't ever want to plant. We want to get bigger. We want to be ourselves. And we're saying, no, what could we do if, if God really took a hold of us and we said, let's, let's just be about the kingdom without our local you know, ego at stake because we know who we, who we are in Christ. All right, here's a more important question. Uh, who would win in a fight between the four pastors? It got I, voted up. You guys I, voted I don't, up. I don't fight. I don't know. I'm a pacifist. Yeah, I don't he fight, is a pacifist, so, so he's sorry. out. I'm out. So we don't have to worry about Zach. You're getting kind of old, yeah, Joel. <laughs> I'm just saying, the silver fox over here. Is that a challenge? Unity does not mean unanimity, too, right? Okay, okay. Hold, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me rep for Joel here, though. When we went camping, the four of us went camping together. Joel was the only one who swam across the lake. Joel swam from one side of the lake to the other and came back. I wouldn't even get in the water. We just made fun of him. So it was not a big lake. You yeah, guys. we just made fun. But I don't know. <laughs> Joel, in a, between you and I, my money's on you. Thank you. I agree. It's on you too. You do you CrossFit. split the pot with me. I you... don't. I've been known to do CrossFit, but it's been in ages. <laughs> ages. Remember Fight Club? You guys remember Fight Club? What was one of the rules? Don't talk about Fight Club. You can't Club. talk about... CrossFit needs to adopt that rule. Right? Yeah. You guys are always talking about CrossFit. Okay. Um, how can you be unified within disagreements or arguments? How do you prioritize Jesus and unification in the church in the midst of disagreement? I, I think, <laughs> I think um, going back to that passage in Ephesians 4, all of these leaders are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing in maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And so that, in my mind, is the key. What are we measuring our unity by? If we are measuring our unity by our outward uh, proclivities to enjoy each other's company or we do church similarly, like we all sang the same songs and everybody sang loud and, and so we've got all that going for us. If we're talking about even doctrinal issues, which are not unimportant, but um, the church has historically been divided on baptism and the gifts and uh, how exactly people, the mechanics of how people get saved and um, what happens at the end of the world and what happened at the beginning of the world. And there's, these are all things that we should be students of, but that's not the measuring rod. The measuring rod is Christ. And if we are all pursuing the same Jesus then that should be the thing that unites us. And so that's gonna, that's gonna cause some boundaries. I mean, there, there are a lot of really good people, there are a lot of really religious people that are following a different Jesus. And, that, and that's really important to tease out who is Jesus. And there's a handful of things on that list, at least for me, of, 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 of the God that I serve. But after that, I think we should study the scriptures and come to as much as we can a settled opinion of what we believe by about a variety of 
theological things or political things or social things or whatever the disagreement's about. But we should always, always keep Jesus as the measuring rod of our unity. And if we're in alignment there, then we should be free to fellowship together as brothers and sisters. seems like there should be a, some dialogue around those disagreements as well, right? Some, some discussion around the table um, where, where we might say, Con- convince me of your view. I'd like to be convinced of w- why you're so passionate about this view. So seek to listen to someone else and understand them, and they're going to want to understand your per- per- perspective as well. And so the table, the dinner table, the, the conversation is a place where that can get sorted out. And you may land in different places and be okay with that. There are certain things that are you know, closed-handed, closed-fist things. These are non-negotiables. And then there's some other things that are more open-handed. There's a, probably a, a wide variety of uh, end-time uh, eschatological beliefs in this room. And yet, that's not the main thing that's going to divide us if we're centered on who Jesus is, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, is Facebook, is Instagram the place? Is that the table where we dialogue? Where we should? No, we're just throwing out opinions and thoughts. There's no, there's no seeking to understand in that, in that context. Have you ever read like a rant on Facebook and said, wow, that is so good. I am, that, that just nailed me and I'm going to change my tone here. But that doesn't happen. But in the context of, of a loving dialogue, their understanding does come. And I think it's important too, thinking about, especially leaders, um, I... I am well aware, at least, and I can speak for, for our community, I don't know about you guys, but, but I am a very small percentage of the content that our church community absorbs throughout the week. Um, I, I get up on Sunday morning and, and I believe the Lord has prepared something for me to say, and, and that happens, and I, I value that, and that's a beautiful thing, and, and the gathering of the body is, is a really good thing, but... But then we all go into our spheres with our uh, friends and coworkers and social media accounts and televisions and books and, and things. And I think that's a good thing. Like, I think we should be people that learn, that grow, that um, experience views that we agree with and views that we don't agree with. But when it comes to this section in Ephesians about leaders, like the thing that I want to caution myself on is, is as I go out into the world and as I read and as I study and as I watch YouTube videos and, and listen to podcasts, are the people that are influencing me, are they promoting unity? Because it's really easy, especially when you talk about social media, to make your brand being angry about the other guy. Whether that's um, politically or theologically or whatever. And, and there's a lot of really good content that's also really mean-spirited. And we can't pretend that that doesn't affect us. And so I, I want to, when, when I engage with people that I disagree with, when I engage with content that I disagree with, I want to find sources that are kind and winsome and interested in promoting unity where they can themselves, because that's going to rub off on me. Um, And I found that really helpful as I bump up against people who disagree with me about things. I can easily go find a source online that's just kind of like, 
you know, slam dunk, they're wrong, and they're idiots, ha ha ha, you know. But that's just not helpful if I want to love the, if I want to love the other person. If I really want to seek to understand a perspective, I want to find somebody that can share that perspective and even rebut that perspective. Somebody maybe that holds to the perspective that I do that will share that with grace and kindness um, because that's going to make, that's just going to make me a better follower of Jesus. Um, what are one or two practical things that we can do to foster unity among believers? Practical level, I show up to the park, I show up at the church gathering, those pastors up there are talking about unity, but what, what can I do as an individual, as a family, to foster unity? One thing I'll say is, is settle your, try your best to settle your theology on what makes a person a part, a citizen of the kingdom of God. At what point does a person become a citizen of the kingdom of God? Because when, as I have done this, as I've recognized that um, belief in Jesus Christ, his, um, his atonement for my sin at the cross, his resurrection from the grave, my confession of that out of my mouth, my belief in that in my heart, that has ushered me into the kingdom of God. And then when other disagreements or tribal disputes come up, as I run back to that understanding of what makes a, a person a, a citizen of the kingdom of God, my heart immediately begins to soften toward them and to be more inclusive of them as a brother or sister rather than uh, stiff-arming them and saying, well, you don't have these pet doctrines figured out, and then functionally uh, resting on those pet doctrines almost as if they exclude them from the kingdom of God. And I, I think that, so what that does functionally is it changes my outlook. It changes how I interact. It changes how I think of people in my head and in my heart and therefore how I treat them. And that will just start to seep out of your life in various ways. So I know that's philosophical, but it will bleed into the practical if you can get clear on what makes a person a citizen of the kingdom of God. It will change all day long, how we treat them. And that starts with love. It starts with the love of God being poured into your heart, you seeing people through his lens, defining them the way he defines them. And that's the, the philosophical heart and mind change that will lead to the physical change, which is immediately what I think of. Get out of your comfort zone. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to get out of the clique. You have to get out of the people that you're used to talking to. If you want to see unity, it's exactly what we've been talking about up here. There's awesome in the awkward. It's much easier to gather in our own buildings with our own functions and our own, our own systems in place. It's much more difficult and will be much more costly, but there is so much to be gained by pursuing unity through, I'm going to step out. I'm not going to stay back. I'm not going to stay where I'm comfortable. I'm going to step out of what I'm comfortable doing, and I'm going to see what the Lord has called me to do in these people's lives. And it's as simplistic to me as saying hello to people, greeting people, spending time with people that you don't know, that aren't a part of the closer circle in your life, and, and, and recognizing they're part of the family too. They're part of the household too. There are people inside of your household that you're more comfortable talking to, but it would be wrong to only talk to the kids that you get along with. 
You need to interact with all of your children. You need to interact with each other. And you have to press into that awkwardness if you actually want to see each other grow. Because we don't grow when we sit at home eating potato chips. Right? We, we grow a little ways. Well, we do, yeah. That's I right. grow. I grow in the wrong way. Um, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, it's going to take effort. It's going to take exertion. It's going to take discipline. And we're going to have to go after it. And that begins with the love of God, with a change of heart and mind, and it functionally changes how we live. This is one small piece of what that will look like. But it should look like us going over to our neighbor's house and talking to them, even though they don't go to our church. It should look like us reaching out and branching out in new ways and not being afraid to interact with people or step out of our comfort zone. Are we allowed to have strong opinions, guys? Yes, you are. I hope so. Yes, yes, absolutely. We want you to. Uh, should you be a jerk about those things? No, we should let the gospel offend people rather than us always offending people. Uh, do we live in a very self-centered culture? Yes. Yes? If you're questioning, yes. Uh, we have thin skin these days. We're easily offended uh, how many of you like to be right? Yes. <laughs> All of us, right? There's nothing wrong with being right. Uh, but when you have to prove it to everybody else, you're, yeah, we judge them. We're treating someone who's made, as, as we said, in the image of God really poorly, really terribly. We live in a cancel culture. We disregard people. Uh, our world is about self, about our own opinions. We treat people terribly. And I would challenge us, let's not let it be so in the church. Let's give grace. Let's understand. Let's be compassionate. Let's let the love of Christ filter in our hearts. And with joy, we can embrace people, even if there's a difference of opinion or or perspective. Uh, Here in North Idaho, that's where we are, right? Yes, yes. Uh, We care about our rights, don't we? Yeah, we, I've seen the Constitution like on bumper stickers. It's our Second Amendment right, and we, we fight for our, our rights. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to, to have your rights, um, but I think um, maybe, maybe I'll offend you with this. I think Jesus is more concerned with your righteousness than your rights. What did he do with his rights, you guys? He, he, he laid them down, right? He surrendered them. Uh, Did he deserve judgment and condemnation and death? Absolutely not. If we think about his crucifixion, did he he deserve a fair trial? Yes. Did he get it? No. Did he fight for uh, for that? No, he laid that down. Uh, The author of Hebrews says this, with joy he endured the cross. What? With joy. He laid down his rights and he endured the cross. He's seated down, seated at the right hand of God, the Father. Uh, Jesus accomplished salvation for us. He rescued us from what we deserved, which is judgment and condemnation. You guys, what unites us together is recognizing that on our own, we are doomed. Like we're selfish. Uh, I I could say some things. We need Jesus, right? And we come to the foot of the table, the foot of the cross, recognizing who Jesus is and what he has done. And so when you think about that uh, doxa, revelation, all of life, transform, you are God's blood-bought people. That's who we are. We're, We're the church, right? Different ideas, different thoughts, but we're the church of God. 
We are his prized possession. We are the apple of his eye. And I think when we recognize our brokenness before a holy God, and we say, how can he have mercy on me? Look at all these other sinners who, who God sees as perfectly righteous because they see the son Jesus in, you know, in the rest of us. Like, man, that brings us together. And we can have diversity of thought because we're united together in Christ. I like your analogy of the house, Mike, because scripture talks about us as orphans. Like, we're, we're street people. We're street kids. We're orphans. We're, we're scurrying for food. And yet God the Father says, I'm going to adopt you, invite you into my family. I want you to come live on the mansion up on the hill with me. And that's what life is about, trying to figure out how do we live together in the house of God, not not our separate bedroom, but how do we come into this big open living room and play games with the king himself, have him join us and sit down with us. Um, Jesus has set us free, hasn't he? From slavery to ourselves so that we can actually serve each other with joy like Christ served us. So to become like Christ is to actually take on humility, be like him. And then church, here's, here's a kicker. Here's the kicker. Is this this is, sounds ir- irreligious. <laughs> uh, we've been given the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness. We've been given God's presence in us together. Have you ever met uh, another believer from another country? They don't speak English. And then they're like, hey, hey, oh, Jesus. And you're like, Jesus? And there's this unity because you know automatically this person knows who they are. They know that they've been rescued by Jesus Christ. And there's a, there's a bond. There's a unity right away together. Uh, J.I. Packer said this just to continue his thought. Christian unity means that we acknowledge that we're all sharers in the love of the same Savior, in the power of the same Holy Spirit, and the worship of the same Heavenly Father. And knowing and believing this brings us together as the same family. Amen? Yeah, we are brothers and sisters here uh, in Christ today. And so what we're going to do now is just share in communion together. We're going to take the elements. If the, if the band wants to come up, that would be, that'd be great. There are some uh, tables, if you look around, where there's communion. And there's a, there's a cup and there, there's a wafer of bread in there as well. And so don't look for the bread. It's actually in the cup. And so what I'm asking you to do is, as we play this first song, come up and take uh, communion. Just take it back to your seat, and then we'll wait, and and I'll give you some further instructions, and we'll take that together as one uh, unified church. Amen? Amen. Um, Would one of you guys just pray for us as we move into a, a time of communion? Sure. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Um... And we want to acknowledge our brokenness. Uh, As we talk about unity, um, it's it's always a work in progress. I know I can see things in my heart, in my life, in my attitudes and actions that do not display the oneness that Jesus asked for. Uh, And God, if, if that's the case with anyone here today, I pray that your spirit would speak, that that you would convict, uh, that you would encourage and exhort, and that also you would affirm in the hearts of your people that we are yours, uh, that you would remind us 
of the sacrifice of Jesus, his broken body and his shed blood, not because he was a sinner, but because we are sinners, because we have broken God's law, because we have broken our relationships, because we have broken our environment, uh, because we are broken ourselves. And as we're reminded that we have no way of fixing ourselves, but Jesus has come to fix us. God, help us to remember also that, that Jesus says when he instituted this meal that he would not drink from the fruit of the vine again until he did at the coming of his kingdom with all of his people together, perfectly united. His prayer finally answered. And God, I just pray that as just, just a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of that kingdom here today, we would move towards that goal by your Spirit's power. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church 